This is Redemption Radio with Pastor Cody King of Redemption Calvary in Commerce City, Colorado. Here's a preview from Pastor Cody of today's message. You're not designed to be healthy and grow on your own. You're not. There's no such thing as Lone Ranger Christianity. There's no such thing as, I'm just, I'm good. I don't really need them. No, you need them desperately. And if you don't think you need them, you need them more than you think you do. We need one another. The only way we grow and develop is by having other people around us. That, that there are people who they can knock off our sharp edges, that they can point out those things in our lives. We all desire camaraderie and fellowship. Even the people who prefer to be alone, they still need company. And today, Pastor Cody reminds us that life and growth are so much easier and healthier when you have people in your corner. Not only do they provide support and comfort, but they also provide advice and guidance. And they're there when you need a good slap in the face. We all need someone to hold us accountable, that know us well enough to know when we need to be told we've gone too far. Now, turn in your Bible to the book of John chapter 19, as Pastor Cody continues his message, A Message of Provision. The cross is first and foremost a means of relationship to God, but also as Jesus restores us to God, he simultaneously transforms your relationship with people. Now, we just read in um, uh, Matthew uh, that Jesus refers to God as our Father. He says, when you pray to your Father, he's transformed the relationship there uh, dramatically. Previous to this, good Jewish people would never refer to him as father, maybe God and almighty and, uh, and, and high and exalted, but not this intimate kind of relationship like a dad. And so Jesus is transforming that, but he's, he's taking it further to say he's not just Jesus' father, but also he says he's your father. See, by faith, when you trust in and you believe in and you put your faith in Jesus, you become adopted into the family of God. But that's what happens. Now, just like any family, all families have, you know, weird cousins and uh, uncles and whatnot. And, you know, they, the family of God has, has got some people in it that maybe, hey, maybe you're like, you're not my favorite person. That's okay. They, they don't need to be, but you're still family, right? And if you don't have that weird uncle or weird cousin or whatever, you're probably it. Um, <laughs> just so you know. <laughs> now, in this family, as he, as he draws us in to be his kids, it, it means that not only am, am I his kid, but you're his kid as well right? And this happens by faith. As we place our faith in the Lord, we, we, we become adopted into the family, and then God puts us within a, a community of his kids, a community of his people, and he called it the church. And he said, I want you to be within the church. It's not a place you go to. It's not this thing that you do on the weekend. It's not something you check off on your list of stuff to do to say, I spent an hour there. I listened to the guy talk about some stuff. I'm good to go for the rest of the week. That the church is much, much more than that. It's a people that you're a part of. It's a community that you share life together with. Just, just spending time with one another. It's vitally important for the church. Because it's not just a place that we go to. It's not just somewhere we go and show up. It's important for us to just spend time together. It's important for us to just hang out together. It's important for us to eat meals together. 
For the most part, if we're going to, as a church, organize some stuff, then the way we're going to organize it is, I'm probably going to force a Bible study into it somehow. Like, that's just me. That's part of who I am. It's what I believe that we are called to do as a church. And so as a church, if we're going to organize it, I'm going to figure out how to put Jesus in that somehow. And we're going to have some sort of Bible study. Like, we, when we do men's stuff, we go and shoot guns, but I'm going to tell you about Jesus first. All right? So it's just the way that it is. It's the way that it all functions. But within this, as a church... You don't have to wait for me to try to organize something in order for us to do it. That we should be just doing stuff together. That you should take it upon yourself to say, hey, I don't know them. Maybe I should have them over for dinner and get to know them. That you should feel free to do these kinds of things and to share life together, to go deeper than just the news, weather, sports, hey, how are you kind of a thing. But that there's a family that's forged. Have you ever noticed or, or had relationship with somebody within the church and that relationship is deeper than even your blood relatives? That there's something that takes place? That because of the blood of Jesus and the family he creates, you can have a closeness and an intimacy than even people that are your blood relatives. I think it's crazy that that takes place. It's miraculous that that takes place. But it doesn't happen on accident. It happens as we share life with one another. It happens as we recognize that God has placed us in a community of other kids and he's called it the church. And a healthy church is going to function more like a family than anything else. And that's where he's calling us to be, is to be a part of this family. Now this family, beyond belonging, it's going to provide at least two things for you. All right? There's two things that this family is going to do, at least these two things. There's, there's a lot more, but here's two things just as an observation. This family is going to provide, uh, number one, it's a necessary part of your growth and development. That you're not designed to be healthy and grow on your own. You're not. There's no such thing as Lone Ranger Christianity. There's no such thing as, I'm just, I'm good. I don't really need them. No, you need them desperately. And if you don't think you need them, you need them more than you think you do. We need one another. The only way we grow and develop is by having other people around us. That, that there are people who they can knock off our sharp edges, that they can point out those things in our lives. You, you, know, you know that you have blind spots in your life? You know why they call them blind spots? Because you can't see them, right? You need someone else to say, hey, bro, you're stabbing me in the face with that, all right? Oh, I didn't even know that was there. Yeah, I know you didn't know. That's why I'm telling you. <laughs> uh, you need other people in your life to, to be able to support you and to pray with you and to uplift you. And you're going to have hardship. You're going to have trial. You're going to have difficulty. You're going to need help. And even if you're the most self-sufficient person there is, you're going to need somebody sometime. And, and the church is designed to be that. The church is designed to be that kind of a family. So this loving and serving and caring for one another is a command throughout Scripture, and it's the church that how we, is how we do it. The Scriptures are filled with one another's. Filled with one another's. That as you read through the Bible, I, I would say, go do a word search on your own. Just Google one another in the Bible. And read all of the times that the Bible says one another. And look at it and, and gather it together and see what God commands us. None of these are suggestions. They're all commands. And, and you know what? The only way that you can actually do this is through? Through the church. That's the way it's designed to do. That you one another within the church. And Jesus says that when we do that, that the world would know us by our love for one another. That the way that we care for each other, that our health as we love and serve one another, in this new family, this new relationship that's created at the cross will be grown and developed. Here's one of them. Romans 12.10 says this, Be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love in honor, giving preference to one another. 
How do you do that if you're all by yourself? How do you do that if you're all alone? You, you can't. It's not possible. Notice he says brotherly kindness. It's familial language. He's talking about the family of God. That we need to have this kind of relationship with one another. And we need to be willing to be vulnerable in that. You see, not only is the church a part of your necessary growth, but also, number two, this family, this adopted family, it's never big enough. That God's got a huge heart. He's got a, a, a huge dad heart, and he wants more kids. And so I'm never satisfied with the size of the church. Now, when I say that, I don't mean our church. I mean the church. I pray for the other churches in our, in our neighborhood. I pray for the other churches in our city. I pray for the churches in our nation and world that God would fill them over and over and over again and that they would be, be so full that they'd go, we don't have enough room. Well, what do we do? Oh, we start more churches. That's what we do. And that those churches would grow to capacity and they'd overflow. That this is God, his dad heart, his fatherly heart, reaching out to people and adopting more into his family. That his family's never big enough. And that God wants to use you to be a part Part of that process of adopting more kids into his family. That, that he wants to bring more in and that you get to be a part of that. That not only are you loving and caring and serving one another, but God wants to use you to bring more in and to have more kids adopted into his family. That this is something that the church does, that the church provides as we are healthy and loving and growing and developing together. And so I just want to encourage you in that, that this is much more than just some place you go to. It's not an organization. It's a family. And if we don't see it like that, then we've missed the point. And this is what the Lord's trying to get at. Now, here in verse 25, we see that uh, we have some, some women that are represented here. We have the, the trifecta of Mary. And then also, most theologians would see, see that there are actually four different women that are mentioned here, four women that are named here. I'll show you where they're at. See, it, it says there, Behold... Now there stood by uh, the cross of Jesus, his mother, that's Mary 1, his mother's sister, which is probably not also named Mary. I don't know, maybe you like to name your kids all the same name, but uh, I'm going to assume that they probably didn't name their children the same name. So this is actually uh, Salome, uh, who would be John's mom. This is Mary, Mary's sister, and then another Mary, Mary the wife of Clopas, and then fourth, Mary Magdalene. So we have these four women gathered here around the cross. And, and as they're there, they're uh, assembled there, uh, seeing and witnessing and being a part of the death of Jesus. You see, these women, they could not rescue nor relieve Jesus, but they could be with him to attend him through this painful trial that they're gathered around and, and is, is particularly common with John. He's got these women sort of juxtaposed against the soldiers. There's four Roman soldiers that are mentioned that are non-believing. And now you have these four women that are believing. And John tends to do this in his writing. And as they're there, they're, they're unable to rescue Jesus. They can't pull him off the cross. They can't r relieve or alleviate his pain. They, they can do nothing for him but they can be there. They can offer him the ministry of presence. And you're going to find yourself in these kinds of situations often. You ever felt like someone has something going on in their lives and you're helpless to do anything about it? There's nothing you can do. There's not enough words you can say. There's no stuff you can accomplish to alleviate it. You can offer the ministry of presence. You can be there. And it's a powerful ministry to just be there. The Bible calls us to weep with those who weep. 
and rejoice with those who rejoice. There's not always something you can do. And, and sometimes the best thing you can do is probably not say what you think you want to say. When, when there's painful situations happening, when there's difficult things going on, Christian platitudes don't help anything. They make things worse. But being there, and, and maybe if the Lord stirs your heart to offer a verse, that, that would be great. That that's necessary and it's helpful and the Lord works through those things. But the best thing that you can do, the most important thing you can do is just be there. And as these women are here, we're not told that they're wailing and losing their minds. They're, they're obviously, I'm sure that they're definitely filled with grief. I'm sure they're filled with sorrow and loss, but they're there. They're not uncontrolled in this situation. They're just there. They're just there with Jesus. You may not be able to do anything about their problem, but you can have the ministry of presence as Jesus here is creating a new family. We're going to see how he does that as we continue to look forward. Not only is a new family created, verse 25, but also a provision for Mary is given. Look at verse 26. When Jesus therefore saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing by, he said to his uh, mother, woman, behold your son. Mary is standing here at the cross, and I'm sure as you think of Mary, and, and maybe you place yourself in her shoes, and you think about being a parent, if you are, that this is the last place that you would see yourself with your children. I'm sure Mary can think back to holding his little hand, and, and the, the brow that she, that she would kiss so many times and stroke his hair, now pierced through with these thorns and blood running down his face the back that she used to rub and, and caress and just massage now ripped to shreds. As a parent, I can't even, I can't even put myself in her shoes to, to even begin to think of what she's going through at this moment. I'm sure that when she was told of the, the blessing that she would receive through giving birth to Jesus, that this isn't what she thought it was going to be. This is the opposite of what she thought it was going to be. And having lived her life in, in scorn and raw, uh, mocking and ridicule, that, that the, the world around her said, yeah, that's not a miracle child. You're just, you're just a loose woman. Uh, that, that Joseph's not even the dad. And that this is what she lived under. She knows full well what's going on. But this is what she had to live with. That I'm sure when she was told this child is, is going to be a blessing, that, that all of this pain and difficulty and trial and hardship, that, that this wasn't with, mixed up within the blessing for her. She didn't think of it that way. But here she is now at the foot of the cross of Jesus as he is bleeding, beaten beyond recognition and dying. And she stands there, and I'm, I'm sure as she's with her beloved son that she's, she's filled with a whole bunch of things. Now, now, as you think of the cross, we've got to get a bunch of the, um, the old Roman Catholic concepts out of your head. Like the cross probably wasn't towering 30 feet in the air, you know, kind of a thing. And you got to yell up to Jesus in order for him to hear you. They were typically crucified uh, with their feet, just a, a couple of feet off the ground. Okay. And so a conversation would be very easy to be had. It would be right there. Uh, you would be very, very close uh, to all of this. And as, as Jesus is on the cross, we've also got to remember that every single breath is excruciating pain. As you remember, that, that as we talked about this before, that, that Jesus' arms pinned out to the sides would cause it to be impossible for him to exhale. That he would have to pull down against the nails, push down against his feet, and, and rub his shredded back against the cross in order to pull himself up to exhale. 
Every single breath is going to be a labor. And so as he's having a conversation, don't think of it like, you know, they're sitting at Starbucks, you know, sipping some coffee and, hey, how are you? Oh, I'm great. How are you? This is very much different. That as Jesus is choosing to say anything, his words are going to be selected purposefully and precisely to say something specific. And as he's there, he pulls himself up to say, woman, behold your son. And he's got to let himself down. And pull himself back up and then say to John, behold, your mother. This isn't clean and neat. This is very messy, very difficult. And as Mary is here witnessing the horror of Jesus' cross, she's living out a prophecy that was spoken to her when Jesus was was just born. Just a, a short time after Jesus was born, a prophecy was spoken over her when they took Jesus down to the temple to offer the sacrifice that they were supposed to offer. In Luke chapter 2, it says this, verses 34 through 35, Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary his mother, Behold, this child is destined for the fall and rising of many in Israel, and for a sign which will be spoken against. Yes, a sword will pierce through your own soul also, that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. I'm sure this is more confusing than anything else for Mary. And until this day, she didn't understand these words, that a sword's going to pierce through my own heart. The joy of a child being born, I'm sure, overshadowed all that. And now here she is, brokenhearted that this sword is now piercing her heart as she helplessly looks on at her son, at Jesus, torturously crucified. And even as he's torturously dying, notice what Jesus says. Woman, behold your son. That in the middle of his pain, that in the middle of his trial, that in the middle of his difficulty, his focus isn't himself. His focus is Mary's pain, Mary's vulnerability, Mary's difficulty, things that she hasn't even thought through yet, things that haven't even really crossed her mind yet. In this culture, a woman was not, they, they didn't work, they couldn't provide for themselves. And, and we were, were, were told by scholars and theologians that Mary is probably a widow, that Joseph probably died not too long after they had uh, some other children, and that Jesus was left as the eldest son to bear the responsibility of providing for and caring for his mother. And so Jesus took on the family business of carpentry and built stuff. And as he did this, he took care of her. And now he's dying. Who's going to take care of Mary? And before she can even register all of this, because of the horrors of the cross and the swiftness of this chaos, she's there, vulnerable. Anxiety is going to come upon her. Fear is going to come upon her. Trouble awaits her. And Jesus foresees all of this. And instead of worrying about his condition and his state, I mean, if, if there's anyone having a bad day, it's Jesus, right? Like this is, if there's any, any time that Jesus could say, hey, could you guys help me out with something here? Jesus could probably say it. And instead of focusing on his problem and his difficulty and his situation, he looks at her and he's concerned with her. He's concerned with where she's at and how she's going to be provided for, how she's going to be taken care of. See, Jesus not only sacrifices himself for Mary's sin, but he also takes personal responsibility for her care. And we've got to place ourselves in Mary's position here. That Jesus is sacrificing himself for your sin, but also looking for your your personal care. Jesus notices her. He didn't even need to. The pain itself was good enough reason to say, 
that Jesus didn't even, wouldn't even recognize anybody that was there. But he notices her. And he sees her condition. He cares. He could have noticed. He could have seen and just said, well, you'll figure something out. But no, he cares. He enters into her pain, into her situation. And then he points it out to her. Notice he says, woman, behold your son. I'm sure at that moment, the thoughts of all that, oh no, what, how's this all going to work? How's this all going to take place? He points it out to her. And then he compassionately provides for her needs. And I think that this is an example, not only of Jesus and his great love for us, but I think as, as men, it's an example for us to follow as well. That I think that, that, that Jesus is the most manly of men. That if you're going to set up a man and say, this is what a man should look like, it's Jesus. I, I, don't, I don't really like the uh, depictions of Jesus as the, the pansy Jesus. Jesus is the most manly of men. And as Jesus is here on the cross, and his concern is for somebody else, I think it's something for us to take on as an example as well. Because I have a tendency to be a big baby. Have you guys seen that commercial for a man cold? That's a little YouTube video. If you haven't, look it up. It's stinking hilarious. Like the, the guy's laying on the couch and he's like, oh, I got a cold. And his wife comes down and says, oh, what's going on? And, and he says, uh, oh, I've, I've got a cold. She's like, oh, why didn't you call for me? He's like, I did. I was like, Mary. And the paramedics show up and what's going on? What have you done? And she's like, I don't know. And you know, she, she just motions to him and, and, and they say, woman. He's got a man cold, you know. Uh, it tends to be more difficult for, for us guys, we think. And, you know, she's like, I've got a cold as well. And, you know, he's, she's fine, functioning totally properly. But we have a tendency, and I know that I do, to over-exaggerate and kind of be a baby about some stuff because I just want her to take care of me. Um, I guess I'm revealing too much right now. But um, we have a tendency to, to look to ourselves to try to take care of ourselves and to provide for ourselves and to think that what's best for me. Uh, this selfishness is so rampant within just people, but I, I see it so much within men and so many of the issues and problems that uh, are within relationships, especially marriage relationships, would be alleviated if we would see them instead of me. You see, real men see the vulnerabilities of others as opportunities to serve them, not as ways to exploit them. That's what real men do. My wife has weaknesses, right? Tread lightly, Cody. My wife has weaknesses. And God has given me strengths where she has weaknesses. That's not for me to look down on her with and say something's wrong with her. Why don't you think like me? What's wrong with you? Why don't you do things the way that I do? What's wrong with you? Why don't you attack the situation that I do? What's wrong with you? Her weaknesses in the areas where I have strengths is not a reason for me to overpower her or exploit her or look down upon her because you know what? I've got weaknesses where she's got strengths. And if I see my strengths as opportunities to serve, not her vulnerabilities as opportunities to take advantage of her or overpower her or overshadow her, but instead to serve her well, then, then our relationship works out well. And the same is true with us. The same is true within the family of God, that your vulnerabilities, your weaknesses are not my opportunity to exploit you, but instead an opportunity to serve you. You see, most of the time when men see weakness of another, it's like blood in the water with sharks. You know, there it is. There's the weakness. Go after it, pick it, poke at it, make fun of it, do something. Cut that guy down as much as possible so I can build me up. Look how awesome I am. 
Well, your weaknesses are not an opportunity for me to gloat about my strengths, but to use my strengths to serve you better. This is what Jesus is doing. And so Jesus points to Mary to look to John as a son. That the void that Jesus leaves in the heart of Mary, this, this son void, this provision void, it's going to be filled by another. And Jesus notably calls Mary woman here. Did you see that there? Woman, behold your son. He, he calls her woman and not mother. Don't, don't look at this and go, man, Jesus is so disrespectful. If I said that to my mom, I'd get punched in the face. Like, th- don't think of it that way. This is a very respectful term. It's much like how we would say ma'am. Uh, so it's a very respectful term, but it's not very affectionate. It's somewhat cold. You've been listening to Redemption Radio with Pastor Cody King of Redemption Calvary in Commerce City, Colorado. Thanks for tuning in for today's study. There's much more to learn from the series called Seven Last Sayings of Jesus. We encourage you to tune in again. In addition to that, why don't you subscribe to our podcast? That way you'll not miss an edition and you can even leave a comment. If you're enjoying these messages, you can learn more about Redemption Radio and Pastor Cody by visiting our website at redemptioncalvary.org. There you can explore other teachings from Pastor Cody's verse-by-verse studies and find out how you can join us for worship this weekend. Redemption Calvary gathers every Sunday to connect with God and each other. We'd love to see you. You'll be able to find service times, directions, and all the information you need at redemptioncalvary.org. We're also live streaming on YouTube and Facebook if you're unable to be with us in person. If you have any questions, feel free to give us a call at 720-466-5358. Be sure to let us know how we can be praying for you too. Again, that's 720-466-5358. Our time with you today has come to a close. But be sure to catch Pastor Cody's message next time. We're excited for you to have the opportunity to hear what God wants to speak to you. Here on Redemption Radio. Redemption Radio.